Hey everybody, I'm Kate Conroy. And I'm Vanessa Vitello. And this is Other People's Business, which is the podcast from the New Jersey, the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. See, I messed that up, but we're not going to start over. How about that? Sure. We, <laughs> the New Jersey Business and Industry Association is the largest statewide business association in the entire country. We release a new episode every other Wednesday-ish, so be on the lookout for that. And shout out to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group. They do home, auto, and workers' comp, so check them out if you need some updated coverage. Awesome. Just a housekeeping matter, too, before we get this train rolling. This podcast is available just about anywhere you can get a podcast. That's iTunes, Google Play, Amazon's TuneIn. We even throw these things up on YouTube if you'd rather watch than listen. But no matter how you check the show out, give it some love. Give it that like. Give it that comment. Give it that five-star review on iTunes. Write into opb at njbia.org and demand that we drop this ish and make it every week or every other week already, you know? But no matter, but yeah, with all that out of the way, our awesome guest today from NJBIA itself is Chris Emmelholtz, our very own Vice President of Government Affairs. Say hi, let the audience hear your voice. How you doing, Vinny? How you doing, Kate? How you doing, audience? Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris. We are thrilled that you are here as well. Um, So today's icebreaker is, what are you currently binging? It can be uh, books, movies, TV food. Um, if you don't have one off the top of your head, Vinny or I can go first. We are always prepared for this question. Well, I just finished, so it's not a current, um, but the Stranger Things, I enjoy horror. I enjoyed the first three seasons, and when volume two came out, it was long, and it's not easy to make time when I've got three kids and a wife and busy job, but Took a longer holiday weekend, was able to watch all like what four hours over the weekend, and so I enjoyed that. Um, and I now that that's done, and and this was tough is sometimes binging versus not binging. Netflix allowed the binging. Um, I'm watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, which is a fantastic show, but you got to wait. And so now I'm waiting till Friday to see the next one. I hate yeah. that. I hate that. I'm not starting that most recent season until all of it is has dropped. I'm not I, waiting. I, Part of me hates it, but part of me likes that I hate it because then you get excited for that Friday night as opposed to other shows that you have to like you can you can binge it and then you oh my god I gotta wait two years. Well what if I spread it out? I don't have to wait that two years. And so it does I, I think TV's losing a little bit of the cachet it used to have when um, people were waiting for the Sopranos episode episode coming out, the Game of Thrones episode coming out, or whether what, whatever TV show network or cable it was. Now it's like I don't need to wait anymore, and I think Americans are kind of losing that patience and losing that kind of joy of waiting. And I think I don't know if that's healthy. All the time. I'll tell you one thing that's really cool about the boys this season in particular, and waiting week to week, is that I, I have no idea how many episodes are in this season. But every time they release an episode, this season in particular has been so good. And they have this great way of ending each episode on this major thing that I keep thinking, oh, man, that must be the finale. That was huge. And then next week, there's another one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I get to watch more. (laughs) Whereas if I was binging it, it would just roll right into the next thing, you know? Yeah, and you wouldn't it wouldn't have that oh my god feeling as much as because you know what you just saw the oh my god an hour ago and then an hour ago and an hour ago. So it's yeah I, I do enjoy that. But um but I, I for the boys I gotta make sure the kids are well asleep because on TV. Yeah, that's definitely not kid friendly. Definitely no. not. No. Or, 
I, before we leave Stranger Things entirely behind, I just yeah. wanted to say, you were saying how long it is. It's kind of funny. You break something up into eight one-hour episodes and people are like, oh yeah, that's fine. But put two movies, because that's what they did. They took, one of them's an hour and a half and one of them's two hours. And suddenly people are like, whoa, that is way too much. Because <laughs> volume two is only four hours long yeah. at most. People are like, whoa, I don't have time for two movies. So true. That is funny. I, I did think about that, but um, but it's still finding four hours is not easy. Like it, volume one took me weeks to finish the whole volume one. Now I wanted to finish volume two right away because I did. I usually don't have time to binge. I did binge. I saw four hours in one weekend, which doesn't doesn't happen that easily. Yeah. So when we last talked about Stranger Things on this show, I think I told Kate season four was not for her because Kate doesn't do horror. She doesn't do scary. But I think whereas volume one had its really scary moments i think as a whole i wouldn't say that volume four wound up being any scarier than the rest of the seasons what do you think about that i, I think i'd agree with you and i enjoy i think the pop culture in volume four as the music guy I, I i love season four because i'm i love the master of puppet scene i'm a big metallica yeah. guy um <laughs> But I also think it's fascinating. If you go on iTunes right now, the number one and number two song on iTunes Kate are Bush, right? Kate Bush and Metallica, <laughs> like songs from the 80s that wow. most people, most kids have never thought of, never heard of. And Stranger Things made them one and two on iTunes. Like that's a yeah. cultural phenomena. And like, I appreciate that. Like it's actually bringing people back to what was cool about the 80s. Kate Bush is smashing these records. It's like, uh, you know, a song is returning to the top of the charts for the first time in 40 years. I don't know that that has happened all that often, but yeah. That's amazing. But yeah, what, what I would tell you, Kate, is that a lot of this season is exposition. A lot of it is setting up for whatever the, the finale of season five is going to be. So I would say that, you know, you, if you enjoyed one through three, check it out. It's not really any scarier than the rest of them. Yeah, I think the it one thing is... moments, but not a lot. It's, I would say it's a little more gory in that the big bad is on camera more than maybe other seasons where there might have been a scary event or scary thing. But now, like, the Vecna character is, like, there, and he's a little freakier looking. Then I mean, you didn't see the Demi-Gorgon or the Demi-Dog, like, that often on camera. Well, now Vecna's sitting there and talking, and, and you're watching him. And so that's – I mean, if you don't like to see the monster – and you don't like seeing monsters, then then that you probably see a little more of that in season four. But I, I agree with you. I think it's a lot more the the relationships, the characters, like like just what's going on in just like in Russia and in California. Yeah. It has nothing to do with horror stuff in a way, and it's more just the relationships there. And um, so there, there's I, it's a good show because it's got a lot to offer. You giving that squinty eye look? There. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna take your word for it because. <laughs> Where we left, where I left off at the end of season two, I just. Oh, you didn't I, see three. No. I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. No, I finished season two, and they it was. I remember it ending at the school, and the upside down was clearly what it was, and I just thought, I don't think this show is for me anymore. I okay. don't think it's for me anymore. <laughs> I just, I just think it's like the primary reason to have a Netflix account right now. You know, like I, I can't think well, of much else. There's very, very, <laughs> you would maintain very little. your subscription to see. Except for like going back through back catalog stuff that you haven't seen before. Like I just binged um, Love, which we talked about last time on the show. And that was a really, really solid Judd Apatow show. Three seasons, a beginning, a clear middle, a clear end. Like it wrapped up really nicely. That was a great show. And that's just way back catalog Netflix. 
but, but other than back catalog stuff, you're totally right. What is Netflix doing? Well, I have to finish those I mean, this Transition into my answer to this question, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go ahead. What are you binging, Ben? I finished um, the Umbrella Academy season three, which I guess arguably is maybe one of the other reasons to maintain yes. your subscription, but yeah. That's on my list. I can't even remember when two came out. So, I mean, I, I guess the pandemic slowed that down, but not as often as Stranger Things, let's say, at least. Yeah. Yeah. God, I can't remember season two when it came out. It was last summer, summer before, maybe? Was it? I thought it was pre pandemic. I would you recommend that, Vinny? Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's one I've never watched. And I thought, as somebody who enjoys supernatural, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, I thought yeah. I would enjoy it, but I haven't given it a chance because you can't watch everything. I yeah. think if you like the boys and you like shows like that, an ensemble full of like interesting characters who are kind of fighting a big bad, I, I, I liked it for that reason. Okay. Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the ensemble thing. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, I think about that when I think about, let's say like a show like Heroes was amazing in that first season because yes. you write each character to be some answer to a problem you would have in this thing. But then future seasons, it's like, all right, I got 15 people that need to save the world. Like, you know, um, the Umbrella Academy and Stranger Things for that matter have always done a pretty good job of finding like a good reason to keep like 15 people around. So I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, see, Eleven was interviewed recently, and she actually complained. She's like, yeah. the Duffer Brothers should have killed somebody off because we're getting too big, and it's cutting into like what you can do in terms of following all the characters because there's just so many of them, and they keep adding yeah. new ones and new ones, and they're all interesting. Like everybody loved Eddie edition, and they love the um, I guess the Vicky that um, Maya Hawke's character is interested in. Like those are good additions, but like, is there enough for those additions and then still following the California story, the Russia story, the Hawkins story, and does it get too much? And that's why like Hero suffered from that. A lot of those scores. Yeah. It, it's tough. The second I read that article, I was like, oh man, they're they're probably writing her death scene right now. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we've only got one season left, so it doesn't really matter, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Too funny. I think Millie's doing all right for herself. Yeah, I think she's gonna be fine. <laughs> gonna be fine. Kate, did you answer? No, I didn't. Uh, I am currently binging The Morning Show on Apple, which, um, yeah, I'm really, really, really late to this party. Um, but it's pretty solid. Like, I am not really a Jennifer Aniston fan. I think she's like, like a, oh, this is going to sound really bad. I would give her acting a C. Like, she plays the same character i think in every role she has the same mannerisms the same let's take noises. horrible bosses and like put that aside if we're gonna say that but sure yes i agree with you <laughs> i agree with you there 100 um but the rest of the cast is really solid the story is really interesting the writing is bananas yes, very so good. good yeah and i swear to god I, I had never seen steve carell in a role where he's kind of the bad guy and he was good like he's very good all those years on The Office, he he could have been so pigeonholed into that kind of pratfall silliness, and he is he can act. Oh my gosh, it's great. So when we talk Steve Carell villain, we're not talking Gru here. <laughs> what? Gru? Never mind. Right over her head. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, sorry. I, my my daughter wants to see that next weekend, Vinny. So I'm with you. I get it. Oh, kid movie. Sorry. Yes, the Despicable Me thing. He's a super villain, but. He's a good supervillain, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Adopts little girls and gives yes. them stuffed animals and. Yes. 
That's so sweet. As an army of adorable minions. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But anyway, with all that aside, yeah. Um, Chris, just finished up a hectic couple months here in Trenton. The budget finally passed, and I know you worked really hard on behalf of the businesses of New Jersey. Give us the highlights. Well, the highlight is it's done. <laughs> that's that's always very, a very happy. Um, it's, it's July and August are, are needed. I think the business community, I think uh, everybody in Trenton, legislators, governor's office, um, lobbyists all needed a break. Uh, and if you really think about it, you go back, a lot of times the summer is quieter, but because of COVID, because of state elections last year, you saw a lot of the summers weren't as quiet, really going back to pre-pandemic level. So this is the first, I think, quiet summer that we're gonna see in some years. And I think people need that. And so um, in addition, I think about it from business perspective is every single March, February, when the governor proposes the budget, businesses are always on the edge of their seat because there's usually a tax increase. New Jersey has a ugly habit of, of including taxes when they propose their budget. This year there was none. And so, the budget went through, uh, we got to work through the whole process and there was no talk about increasing a tax in the budget that the budget needed to balance itself. Um, there's another tax going along, I guess, the side of the budget on a bill that we worked on, but in a way I have PTSD, so I'd rather not talk about that bill, <laughs> tax bill but, um, but, but we have no, no broad-based tax that the budget's relying on, which is a good thing. Um, the worrisome thing is it's the largest state budget in our history, uh, $50.6 billion. And I got to say, I have people that make fun of me for saying the billion dollars. Um, and, and, but you need to accentuate that fee because it's a lot of money. And we're spending all that money. And I don't think we did enough to kind of right the state's fiscal ship. And I don't think small business especially got enough out of the $50.6 billion we didn't help some of the people that need it. We helped a lot of the people that need it, but we didn't help some. And I think small business was kind of excluded. And that's been a little disappointing. I, I have a question, and I mean, I know the answer to it before I ask, but I, I feel like it has to be asked at this point. I've watched you on our sister show, Minding Your Business, where, and I'm just going to put this out there. If you're looking for that more ground level, you know, <laughs> dissection of the budget, check out Chris when he appears on our other show, Minding Your Business, for that. But right now, I, I have this question. I've heard you talk about our money as a state on that show before. And the one thing that keeps sticking out in my mind is that we borrowed all this money for the pandemic, the, the federal recovery dollars. What's going on with all that? Because it drives me nuts. <laughs> What's disappointing in a way is a lot of people are taking credit for having a much larger surplus than we've had in the past, which is a good thing. And Governor Murphy deserves credit for increasing the size of the cushion that we have just in case things go wrong. But a lot of that cushion is built upon borrowing that we didn't need to do. And some people in the defense of that borrowing say, oh, it's Monday morning quarterbacking. We're in an unprecedented pandemic. No one knew what was going on. And that's all true. But at the same time, we're the only state in the nation that borrowed to that extent. And so is it Monday morning quarterback when we raise our hands and say, hey, we don't need to do this. No one else is doing this. And they say, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's unprecedented. We've got to be extra safe, extra careful. We need to have this cushion. And then we did. And it turns out we have $4 billion we didn't need. And now we're paying debt service on that money that we didn't need to do. And no one else did it. And we were right. So I, I, that, that it is Monday morning quarterbacking to an extent. Hindsight's 2020. But at the same time, we were right <laughs> and said you didn't need to do it. 
And we weren't the only ones. There were a lot of people that were, I mean, Senate president is not even a partisan thing. Senate president Sweeney, the Democratic Senate president um, of many sessions, um, but no longer a senator now, um, he kind of pushed caution. Um, you had a lot of legislators pushing caution. Um, the governor's office wanted to borrow this money. And, and in their defense, this is unprecedented. That's become a cliche now. We say unprecedented all the time talking about this pandemic. But you say it for a reason because it's hard to predict what's going to happen when we've never seen anything like this before in terms of the impact on the economy, in terms of the impact on unemployment insurance, impact on jobs, impact on health, uh, which is more important than everything else. And the governor's rate when he says public health is economic health, not a wrong thing to say. And you want to be extra safe. You want to be extra careful. You want to make sure your hospitals have cushion, your, your, all the safety net systems that we have in New Jersey have some cushion. So to be cautious is not a bad thing. And and this yeah. governor has um, shown that caution with having a bigger surplus, shown that caution with um, putting money, a fiscal conservative thing, like putting money into pension, putting more money into schools. Um, so there's good things that, that this $50.6 billion is going to, but being overly cautious has led us to having um, bonded money that we didn't need and debt service that we didn't need. So that, that caution, being too cautious is a thing. I have a, a question for you. I know people out there watching the show think, Kate, Vinny, you work for BIA, you're totally plugged in, you know all these things. Uh, let's just pretend for a second that that we don't know all these things. <laughs> um, so I have what might be a really dumb question, but because of like cost of living increases and natural inflation, not the crazy inflation that we've seen this year, but just natural inflation, it makes sense in my mind that every year the budget would increase a tiny bit. And so every year it is the biggest budget we've ever seen. Is that right? Or does sometimes the budget contract a little bit just naturally because of good fiscal policy or other other reasons? Is that a thing? No, number one, as a former teacher, there's no such thing as a dumb question. And that's actually a very good question, Kate. So um, you're right that the budget should go up. Naturally, there's usually just because of inflation, things are more expensive, things go up. Usually you see 3%, 2%, 4% growth a year. Um, obviously that comp compounds, but what we've seen is in Governor Murphy's five budgets, we've seen a growth of more than 40% in five budgets. Now, wow. some of that is we're spending too much. A lot of that, again, I, and I, I always try to be balanced. And sometimes that gets me into trouble when people don't want to hear the two sides and the balance, but I think uh, a, a BIA, we represent lots of folks. It's diverse membership, big business, small business, South Jersey, North Jersey, Democrats, Republicans, they're all business owners. And so we try to be balanced. And I guess the balance on that is most of the budget growth has gone into finally paying our full pension payment, which is a good thing, and increasing in school aid, which is a good thing. Now, that still leaves a big chunk that's not those two items that we're just spending new money that we didn't need to spend, I would argue. But in Governor Murphy and, and the legislature's defense, that spending on pensions and school aid is a good thing. I think good for businesses, good for economy, good for the state's fiscal health. And so um, you're 100% right, Kate, it should be going up little by little and then goes up, goes up, goes up. And then when you have a recession, it might go down a little bit and then goes up, 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 up. So there is growth. It's always going to grow. Should it grow 40 plus percent yeah. in five years? I would say no. No, that, that makes sense. 
Okay, so I have another question for you. Um, I saw an article online today about how um, manufacturers are starting to think about moving back to the United States because of um, tariffs in China and the pandemic and the just the supply chain in general. And I know that New Jersey has a long history of manufacturing. And so I'm wondering if you've um, heard anything about this from our businesses and if, if anybody is truly excited about it or if it's still just kind of words in the wind right now. No, it's definitely more than just kind of floating out there in the wind, um, and and more than New Jersey has a, a, a has a place for manufacturing is BIA. I mean, BIA started over 110 years ago as NJM, New Jersey Manufacturers, and manufacturing has always been near and dear to BIA's heart, near and dear to my heart. Um, as somebody who works on manufacturing issues, when I was in the legislature, I staffed the manufacturing caucus, and now at BIA, I help work with that caucus, and I think. The legislature, and this has been a very bipartisan uh, with the governor's office, kind of focusing on how do we help manufacturing, how do we help innovation. Um, we want to make sure more products are made here because that makes us safer. And it also eases supply chain issues that we see are having right now. So it's not just safe, it's a quality of life issue for people up and down New Jersey. If we make more products here, it's going to be easier for them to get them. And we're not going to worry about, oh, this is in China. China's got a backlog for X, Y, and Z issues that we can't control. And therefore, you're not going to get your baby formula or your diapers or, or whatever else you need that you used to be able to walk into any store in America and see on a shelf. And now it's not there. And you're like, oh, my God, the sky is falling. And maybe it is, because if you need that product and you got a hungry baby or you got um, whatever else, that's tough. And so I think for supply chain issues, security issues, for just the economic health issues, if we can bring more manufacturing here, New Jersey's trying to do that. New Jersey tried to focus on manufacturing in our recent tax incentive program that we created about a year and a half ago. Um, New Jersey historically is focused on manufacturing. I mean, we go back to Alexander Hamilton and Patterson, New Jersey, the birthplace of manufacturing. Yep. And Alexander Hamilton gets a lot of attention in, in pop culture, but, but he's in many ways the father of manufacturing and the father of Patterson, New Jersey. And, and that was where manufacturing kind of started. And manufacturing going all the way back then had a huge impact on making our country what it is. And then going to today now, there's a huge multiplier effect that if you look at manufacturing, it matters more to prop up the economy than other industries because you make something and then all of the services that go around in the selling of that and the repurposing of that and the making things off of what you made that other industries don't have. And so I think we need to do more on that. And I think it's that, that article is, is definitely um, right on and, and timely. And so I think it's it's been a focus of ours. And one thing BIA looks forward to working with this legislature and the governor to try to figure out how we can kind of capitalize on that, that feeling around the country to get more manufacturing here. I love it. I have one more question, but Vinny, I feel like I'm totally dominating. So do you have, okay, I'm just gonna, so um, you mentioned the pension before, and I know that we went through a number of years where we were not making the, the pension payments and we were heading toward a crisis. And it's great that we're now making those full pension payments. At what point will we be caught up and that pension payment will be such a big nut that we have to pay out every single year? Will it eventually go to like something resembling normal or is the the full pension payment you know quote unquote is that going to be like the 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 big bad for lack of a better term in our budget process from now on it's like the vecna of the state budget um, <laughs> complete with so its own Dungeons and dragons evil name yeah <laughs> 
So I would say, and it, it's a good question to ask because the answer is yes and no. And I think the answer is yes, because we still have this albatross of the pension hanging over our neck and it's it's a big chunk of the budget. And, and we've got to maintain this kind of plateaued level for years to come. But I would say no in that it's eventually going to get better. And also no in that one of the things that was difficult about the state budget for the past decade or so, and Governor Christie and Governor Murphy, both bipartisan deserve credit for this, is we were not meeting our pension obligation. And so Governor Christie started us on a seventh track, which over time, he's like, hey, every year we're going to increase one seventh, two seventh, three seventh. Then eventually they realized seventh was too too cumbersome not affordable enough to maintain within the budget as i said the budget you got inflation every year the budget's naturally growing but that extra seventh of the pension payment was too much and then he started a tenth plan and started going up one tenth two tenth three tenth governor murphy came into office continued the tenth plan of governor christie and then the governor murphy's credit when the revenues were strong the economy was strong enough budget was able to handle it he doubled up and he went like an extra 10th and he actually paid, he got the 10 tenths earlier than I think people were expecting him to, which is a good thing, healthy. And once you got the 10 tenths, you no longer had to worry about where am I going to find that increase next year? And so every year budgeting, it's almost if you think you have your household budget. Okay, I just got a pay raise. My husband or wife got a pay raise, um, but property taxes went up. My, um, my kid has a new program at school or camp or team that I got to pay for. And so you're thinking about what's going up. Your revenue goes up, but you're also, uh, expenses go up. So the state's always up. Hey, our revenue is going to go up by maybe a billion or $2 billion this year, but our revenue is going to go up by a billion or $2 billion this year. So we can balance the budget. But what if expenses go up by more than revenue? That's always the balance act. When you had pension eating up a giant, giant portion of that increase in spending, sometimes that was too much for anything else. And so once you get to that 10 tenths, where now you're not actually doing a big increase anymore, you can actually start to afford other things increasing in your budget in a more reasonable way. And then you can afford some of the bells and whistles that you do in a budget that people are, hey, that's going to help me or my town. It's going to help me or my school. Pension, it was the right thing to do, but you're not going to be able to point to that and say, oh, that's going to help. Now, if you're a pensioner, yeah, you want that, but no pensioner in New Jersey ever remotely came close to not getting their retirement check. So <laughs> right. It's not like they can point to say, oh, I got no retirement check last year. Next year I am. No, you always got your retirement check. We just needed to catch up. So that's why your answer, your question was yes and no. It's, it's a good thing that we're at this level set but it's also it's going to be a big level set flat for a long time and it is hanging over our head and it's it's weighing down the budget but eventually and i'm forgetting how many years this is but i want to say 10 to 15 years from now that starts to go down once we've actually finally paid off all the misdeeds that we've made in the past by not paying what we should have nice only 10 more years so, <laughs> <laughs> so i guess um and i as of the time we're recording this, I actually just like 20 minutes ago proofread Michelle Sakurka's report to members column on the budget. So I kind of unfortunately know where this is going. But I wanted to ask for for that small business person that, you know, maybe like Kate said, isn't necessarily super plugged into this. You're bringing up that trauma again, Vinny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would you say is the big takeaway for a, a business owner? Like, are they coming out of this with some positives, maybe some negatives? Like what, what can they expect out of the budget? Well, one thing that we were disappointed with or probably the, the top disappointment for BIA and I would say the business community at large was what happened alongside the budget. So 
if you told me, Chris, what would you score the budget as? Would you vote yes or no? I actually don't know if I would have voted yes or no if I was a legislator and privileged to have that opportunity. I probably would have given the budget a five out of 10, had a lot of positive things, had some missed opportunities, but alongside the budget- that not... You would only give a five out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> well, life's about compromise, Vinny. You can't okay, really that's... get what you want. I very rarely say anything that's coming out of Trenton is a 10 out of 10, and very rarely anything coming out of Trenton is a 0 out of 10. It's usually kind of somewhere in the middle, and and so if you get that 6 or 7, you're going to vote yes. If you get that four or five, 3 or 4, you're probably going to vote no. 5, I don't know. Um, and But I would say the disappointment alongside the state budget is I don't think, as I said earlier, the state budget did not do enough for small businesses not do enough for the businesses that are still struggling with the pandemic and, and those losses they had to endure. Inflation that we talked about, the workforce crisis that BIA has talked about quite a bit. Those are all still hurting businesses out there, especially our small guys. And did this budget itself do anything to help that? Um, no. Did it do anything to exacerbate that? I would say no either. Kind of in the middle. The one thing we asked for um, on helping small business specifically was UI tax relief. And UI is terribly complicated, so I don't want to get into the weeds, but basically every employer pays a UI tax. Um, unemployment insurance is what UI stands for. So unemployment insurance is what happens when you lose a job, you get unemployment benefits from the state. Appropriate thing, good thing. Obviously with the pandemic, you drained your UI benefits, the UI fund of the state more so than we ever have in history. Rightfully so again, you had a unprecedented shutdown of business. And so a lot of people were laid off many of which were temporary and they eventually came back to their job. But but those layoffs, we made sure people were still getting something, these UI benefits that drain the fund. What happens in the fund, it's kind of like a roller coaster. When times are bad and people are taking UI benefits, it drains the fund and the UI tax on employers that pays into the fund goes up. And then when times are good and the fund is very healthy, that like UI tax goes back down because they don't need as much money. So the issue that we have is um, we basically are taxing our own shutdown, if you think about it. And then because of that shutdown, UI taxes are going up. And this is going to be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars per employee. And so we are taxing what we made businesses do. We don't think that's fair. We don't think it's appropriate. The majority of states in the nation have taken some of their federal relief money from, from the federal government, CARES Act um, and ARPA, and they put money into the UI fund so business taxes didn't have to go up. We chose not to do that. So we came up with this compromise bill that said two thirds of your payroll tax um, would be offset by a small business tax credit and passed through the legislature, um, the assembly 78 nothing, passed through the Senate Budget Committee unanimously, and it was supposed to be voted for by the full Senate. And unfortunately, it was pulled down. Um, and we heard reported that the governor's office was calling senators asking for it to be pulled down. And we don't know exactly why. Um, it was disappointing to us because this would have been the one thing that you could say, hey, you're doing something to make small businesses a little more affordable in New Jersey. And we didn't we didn't use that opportunity. We did nothing to make business more affordable in New Jersey. Wow, that's really well said. Oh, my gosh. All right, I think we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to play another game. And we're back. And it is now time to ask our second get to know you question, which today is brought to us by AT&T. Thank you, AT&T. The question is, 
in-person, virtual, or hybrid, and why? Chris, do you have a preference? I would say it's definitely in-person or hybrid, um, because I think, especially in my line of work where relationships are so key, you want to be across from a table or chatting and looking people in the eye and shaking hands. Um, I do think there's something to be said for hybrid and the virtual component not going away because there, there's a value there. And uh, there's a value where I used to have to be in a studio with you guys and now I can um, do this. And shockingly, we're not all in the same studio if anybody can tell me when they're watching this live. If you're watching um, this. <laughs> it's a really wild studio with the green and the cool office that Kate's got and my very boring office behind me in the basement of my house. But um, but but it used to be you had to be together and now it's a lot more convenient and, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing and yet you can boom come on to and uh, something virtually and get things done. And, and some of the national kind of webinars I could participate in to learn about tax fiscal policy and and without having to fly or, or drive somewhere. So there's a value in that. And I think hybrid allows that value, but still gives people that want that in person a chance. So I, I think hybrid is here to stay and, and even some things that are 100% virtual. But I, I do enjoy the face to face, the shaking of the hands, the being able to see people's eyes and smiles and, and hey, how you doing? What's going on? I haven't seen you in a while and it's nice. Um, I, I just did a first in person for a while after a bunch of Zooms with a uh, group that we partnered with the county college yesterday. And it was just very nice to be in person and see all these county college people that I've been seeing over Zoom for a long time and now be in person. And 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 that's how you build relationships. It's very hard to build a relationship over Zoom. It's easy to maintain one um, and easy to kind of just get the the, the facts, the, the information, but the relationships, I think in person. That's really well said. Oh, sorry, Ben, go ahead. No, I was going to ask. So I know when COVID started, um, a lot of the the testimony and the, the legislative hearings went virtual. Um, I, I think those have started to move. And when I say started, it could have been like a year and a half ago for all I know. But <laughs> I know those have started to move their way back into person. Has that made your life any easier or harder or anything? Well, I am fortunate in New Jersey where I live in central New Jersey, pretty close to Trenton, so I can get anywhere and get to Trenton pretty quickly. I know for some lobbyists, they kind of miss the virtual aspect where they didn't have to leave their house and didn't have to deal with the commutes, um, whether it's coming from North Jersey, South Jersey, or from the shore. But for me, I, I'm very, I, I like that the Senate came back to in person very quickly. The assembly was a little slower and they're more, um, really just this spring was the first time the assembly was back in person. Um, I think there's value there because I enjoy chatting up new assembly people and new senators before the hearing, after the hearing, you get a chance to talk to them. Zoom, you come on, you say your thing, and then you're done, and there's no chance to actually interact. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, I think it's also much easier to tune out if you're a lobbyist that's just there to say your thing, get out, you're actually not listening to the legislature. And I think the legislators are not necessarily listening to everybody talking because it's, it's easier to tune out a Zoom than it is to tune out something in person. If you're in an in-person meeting and you just got your feet up on a desk and you're looking at your phone and <laughs> everybody sees that, it doesn't look too good. You can get away with that in your yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> like, camera off. And so I think anything that's encouraging more listening because we don't do enough listening in the world. And I think in-person also encourages that listening um, on both sides, the lobbyists, the legislators, there's more engagement going on. I think that's a good thing. Does it save you any, or did it save you any time? Because I know 
um, they used to ask me to go over and film, um, you know, when our lobbyists would do testimony and whatnot. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. What time is it going to happen? And they'd be like, well, anytime between like 845 <laughs> and 3 p.m. And I'd be like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the convenience of, because even I know now when you did everything online and the camera, it was much easier to record online and you knew it was going to happen. I think the legislature was probably a little more punctual uh, with the online because I think they had to be OLS, uh, which is the nonpartisan sort of behind the scenes operations logistics guys. They sort of said, hey, you have a Zoom window of X to X and you need to get this hearing done then because then there's a hearing after you that's got Y to Y and Z to Z. And so there wasn't as much wiggle room. And we all know some legislators are not all that punctual. But if they were told that this is your one window, they were a little better about it. So I think for convenience and ease, it probably was a little better with the remote. Um, and, and just coming off the um, end of the Senate session at the end of June, um, in the assembly sessions where you're at the state house all day, you're there till 11 o'clock at night. But then even I know like there was people that saw me testifying remotely because you can still see, I mean, they, they saw me in person, but they saw that from their computer at home um, when the legislature is recording that. Um, and so that was able to kind of, you got the picture, you got the recording. Um, BIA's communication shop can use that for what they want and, and doesn't necessarily need somebody there. Um, because OLS has got a little better technology than it used to have. So um, there, there's, def there's definitely values. I think there's things we've learned and things we've done and become accustomed to during the pandemic that are our conveniences and making our lives better. And there's things that we want to never do again, and never hear from again, and never worry about again. Yeah, there's an undeniable efficiency about online stuff, but it absolutely takes away the, the humanness, I think. And I agree with you. I think hybrid is is here to stay. In fact, we just had a, a hybrid event, I want to say last month, on um, environmental justice. And um, we literally had 150 people show up to this event. And it was exactly wow. half and half. Half of the people were in the room and half of the people were on the Zoom. And we had people from all over the country. It was fascinating. Wow. That's great. I think it's so interesting the expectation of virtual that's you know happened lately like like for example take this show it used to be just a thing we did every single episode of the show in person together you know and and the the ironic part of it is that the pandemic hit and we built this awesome studio and I was so excited for when the pandemic would end we could do this show on this amazing studio with these amazing mics and everything and then what happened was there was just this expectation that like this could be done over Zoom, so it will be. You know, like all of our guests are like, yeah, I mean, we would probably have to convince, you know, with some real um, hard, this is why we need kind of things <laughs> to get somebody to come in and do this show in person. <laughs> well, because Trenton is not easy to get to, unfortunately. Is it? Because I feel like we have great roads in this state. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. We do have great roads. But I mean, I live in Edison. You live in, I don't even know, DelVal somewhere. Del Stockton. <laughs> I can never remember the name of the city where you live. I always just think DelVal. Um, I always just tell people it's near Lambertville. Everybody knows Lambertville, New Hope, that whole area. New Hope I'm familiar with, I think. I don't know. I'm Lambertville not is like literally 10 feet from um, New Hope. So yeah. <laughs> I just consider that one big area. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But like most of our guests come from like North Jersey um, or South Jersey. And so when we tell them 
yeah, you need to come to Trenton. They're like, mm, really? <laughs> <laughs> did you ask Chris to come in in person? I did not. Yeah, see, because Chris just said he's nearby. We could have done I know. this, but... Well, this is partly my fault. It's my selfish... Uh, my, it's my schedule, actually. It's not me being selfish. My calendar... See, she put it on the guests. It was <laughs> never the guests. <laughs> yeah, Whatever's FYI, easier for you guys. FYI, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> not at all. All right. I think that was the uh, that was the question, which today, thank you, AT&T, was brought to us by AT&T. Shout out to them. We appreciate it. Yeah. So Chris, um, this is the part in the show where we like to impart stuff to our, you know, our viewers. Do you have any advice you would give to your younger self? What I like to, and if there's any younger folks watching, um, I like to speak about the power of internships. Uh, something that I personally seen in my life is that I actually interned for NJBIA um, when I was going to graduate school and then came back and obviously a vice president there. I actually interned at the State Department of Education and then came back to run that same office that I interned in where I was the director of that office um, and a previous job. And so I think the more that you can get out as soon as possible, even as not even a working adult, but as a college kid, as a high school kid, if you can just start working and whether it's at a food store, uh, serving food, or it's interning when you're in college and start seeing what I like, what I don't like, the kinds of work experience that fit my style, the kinds that I think I would be terrible at, um, I think you're better for it. And, and it creates a little more career, job, work style awareness that I think you're gonna benefit from in your life, your family will benefit from your life, your stress levels will benefit from your life. And then it's also, we were talking about relationships before, um, for being in person, I think the power of building those relationships, building that network, and the more opportunities you have where, oh, I interned at BIA and then I wanted to come back then, or they wanted me to come back when there was a full-time job opening, or I interned at the Department of Education and then I was able to work with those same people. Um, and some of the people that were my mentors when I was an intern became my employees when I was their boss. And and so it's, it's, it's kind of cool, but I came in, Fortunately, I, I think I was a good intern and I had good relationships and, and it was positive experience. And so therefore it made me better when I came back and um, and I was more experienced, more aware, more knowledgeable of what, what I had to do and what I wanted to do. So I think I, I can't overestimate how important it is to just, just try things out, do internships, externships, uh, applied learning, uh, field, experiential, whatever you want to call it, um, give that an opportunity, try it. I know there's a lot of colleges that are actually moving more towards giving credit and it's part of their curriculum to push people into the workforce because um, you learn. That's how you learn. Um, there's a lot of learning that goes on in classrooms and I don't want to undersell that, but there's a lot of learning that's equally, if not more important sometimes that happens in jobs, um, on the job. And, and the more you have a chance to do that before you're actually out of college or out of grad school, um, the better you're going to be for it. That's fantastic. In fact, you just reminded me that um, we have a really, really good track record at NJBIA for hiring our interns once they finish college. Alexis Bailey, who is your colleague in the Government Affairs Department, was our intern once upon a time, and now she is a director of GA. And so, yes, fantastic employee, and and awesome. no, I think we've got good people in Government Affairs, but I think all throughout the association, I think there are examples of people that. Um, 
interned, started working, and then went on to bigger and better things. So um, everybody out there, make sure you're interning somewhere. Yeah, good call. I like it. I wish right now I, I could give some kind of thing, like in order to, you know, apply, apply. for an HABI internship, <laughs> go here. But no, I, I have no idea. I don't even know if we have any openings at the moment. But yeah, it would be great if I, I could just drop do. something like that in right now. <laughs> I, I think um, Kyle Sullender, who runs the uh, nonprofit research affiliate of BIA Focus New Jersey, um, is starting to look for people in the fall. We have um, summer internships right now, but starting to look for people. So go to BIA's website to look up Focus New Jersey and, and Kyle Sullender is his name. And um, it's a great research opportunity. And we have experience where that's turned into jobs later in life. Fantastic. Thank you so this much. Out. You're going to see me typing as I'm doing this. Focusnj.org. You know, you can do that. I just wanted to be sure before I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about NJBIA's government affairs efforts? Um, I, I'm fine. Cell phone, email. What do you think is most easy for the listeners? It's whatever's easier for you. If you're recommending okay. a way people to get a hold of you, what what would you say? <laughs> no, I honestly, you can always feel free because my cell is on my business cards and it's out there. But it's a six zero nine seven five one two nine five seven. You can text or call my cell at any time. And we are, I mean, BIA is about serving our members. And we have thousands of businesses throughout the state doing um, a huge, myriad, diverse amount of things that, that all are doing great work, but they all could use some help here and again. And so if we could ever help you with a tax policy, labor policy, environment policy, or just like taking advantage of some of BIA's benefits, please reach out. And um, obviously, there's lots of different parts of the association that can help you, but but my expertise is, is tax, budget, fiscal, economic development, workforce development. So I'm happy to help in any of those things, but also we'll be happy to put you in touch with the right person on any other questions you might have. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I think that is our show. Thank you to our listeners, especially our subscribers. We really, really appreciate the support. Thank you to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group, the official sponsor of the show. They do home, auto, and workers' comp, so check them out if you need updated coverage. And finally, thank you to Chris Emmaholtz, Vice President of Government Affairs here at NJBIA for joining us today. It was a pleasure. It definitely was. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Vinny. I enjoyed my time with you and always like connecting with you guys. Thanks. All right. Always. We'll see you next time. Bye.